Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 707 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, I'll be speaking with Howie. He is a type 1 himself and the father of a child with type 1. And I'm pretty sure that his wife made him come on the podcast. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Real quick, please remember, it would mean so much to me and to people with type 1 diabetes if you took the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Go to the link, join the registry, take the survey, takes fewer than 10 minutes, can do it from your phone, you could do it on the potty. You know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't sit that long. But if you're there, you could do it is what I'm saying. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. You have to be a U.S. resident who has type 1 or a U.S. resident who is the caregiver of someone with type 1. Take the survey, support people with type 1 diabetes, support the Juice Box podcast. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Go to touchedbytype1.org to learn more about their organization or to get tickets for the upcoming annual event, which I'll be speaking at on August 27th in Orlando, Florida. Touchedbytype1.org. Today's show is also sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. The InPen is an insulin pen that does more than you expect from an insulin pen. I'll tell you more about it during the ads, but for now, you can go to inpentoday.com. Howard's, oh, whoops, don't want that. Take that back. <laughs> I, I don't want to say my last name. <laughs> Howie. Just say, hey, well, my name's Howie or something like that. All right. Hello, my name's Howie. There you go. Howie, this is the, the most uncomfortable start to a podcast so far. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are you a parent of a type one or you have type one yourself? Both. Wow. All right, then. Now we're on to something. Um, you listen to the podcast? I do. So I've been listening to the podcast. Uh, predominantly found out my wife. I mean, my wife is the biggest uh, embracer of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Considering I've been diabetic for 42 years, I probably was a late adopter to the podcast. Most of this in candor has been in preparation. So I've listened to the pro series. I've listened to a lot of the recent ones to see how those interviews are. Listen to how those interviews have panned out. So I could be prepared. So your wife's the listener. She's more of the active listener to be candid with you. Oh, no, no, that's perfect. That's what I wanted to know. So tell me, 40, you've been, you've had type one for 42 years. How old are you? I am 44. So I was diagnosed February 18th, 1979. Wow. Wow. Okay, no dude, first of all, you look super young. I, I, got I appreciate to, that. I got to see you right before we started. You do not look, you don't look that and not that you're old, but you you look really young. Um, no, I appreciate that. So you were my daughter was diagnosed when she was two. I did actually hear that, yeah. and uh, I mean, I've heard your journey, and that's pretty incredible that somebody with not that experience and it doesn't sound like you're in the medical profession 
knew uh, was able to recognize the symptoms. So kudos to you. Yeah. I'm definitely not in the medical profession. Yeah, I was uh, uh, at that point. I was in the I was in the stay at home dad profession. Prior to that, I uh, I did. Um, gosh, I I worked in this little credit union where I did their uh, graphic design stuff, and I actually collected debts for them before that. I um I was basically a debt collector. I hated it. I was so good at it, and it made me sad to be good at it. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Um, and uh, one day their their graphic designer quit, and it was this really small place. And I like I marched into the the human resources office. I was like, I can do that graphic design job. And they're like, Do you have any background in this at all? I'm like, No, but I can do it. And I I and the person had left kind of abruptly. So I, I said, come here. I went over to their desk. I sat at their computer and I opened up the stuff and I, I said, tell, I'll make something. Tell me what it is. And I did. And they were like, wow, really? And I was like, look, you can pay me less because I'm not qualified. I just wanted to be out of debt collecting so badly. So I was so they gave me the job and I worked there right until my son was born in 2000. And, and I've been a stay at home dad since the since the beginning of 2000. Yeah. So I have no medical background. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, then you could be a doctor since you had no background in graphic design. It sounds like you pretty much could be a physician. So that sounds awesome. Not well, WebMD. Should I just go to the hospital, walk into human resources and be like, hey, I think I can handle this. <laughs> Sit down, watch me. Yeah, you can really underpay me. You're going to save a ton of money. I mean, until one. Yeah. Of <laughs> you know. uh, but anyway, that's so in 19. Dude, I was eight in 79. Um, that's a long ass time ago. How How was What's your first recollections of like diabetes management? So I, th I probably could remember going back to five ish, six ish years old. And it was mainly from just, I had very supportive parents. They managed it, but didn't micromanage. I was never stopped from doing sports. I was never stopped from staying over people's houses and diabetes in 1979 was much different than it is today. But my first recollection recollections were probably lows at the time because most of them happen at night. So I just remember probably just low pass out events in the, in the middle of the night, my parents supporting that. And then sometimes even, you know, police and emergency would have to show up at the house because like I mentioned, diabetes back then was quite different. Uh, regular and MPH or Lente, how far back is 79? So I did have both of those. I actually started on animal insulin when it was made with, you know, pig fat. So I had that first. I was on NPH. I was on regular. I was on Lente. And I was on regular insulin for a long time. I mean, one shot a day, NPH at night, six-hour peak time. I might be wrong on that. Maybe it was 12-hour peak time. And then regular insulin would peak. And that's the thing. It was just, you know, spray and pray, basically. Man, you were, you're one of the youngest people who's told me they've used animal insulin, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, what's interesting is I actually was an avid injector in my stomach. So I really came, uh, I actually had, you know, uh, swelling and hypertrophy from that, mm -hmm. which actually to give listeners confidence has gone away. So part of my agenda that I actually wanted to at least discuss was my story and the evolution of what diabetes has looked like, how we found out when my daughter was diagnosed with diabetes and what's that, what that has looked like. And then also just you know, reinforce perspective, what it's like when being a patient of diabetes, you know, because you know, what the parent probably goes through is very, very difficult. I always think that being the diabetic parent is much more challenging than being the diabetic patient because mm -hmm. you can never opt out. There's not, 
there's no off time. So if you're the patient, it just is what it is. So the parent seeing that is much more difficult. So I would probably talk about the perspective since I've had both. So that's really the thoughts that I had, but how, yeah, I uh, definitely you try, you're trying to evolved the, a lot. You trying to produce the podcast? I, I don't I'll, I'll get to it, man. Relax. Don't worry. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. I'm pretty good at this. What do you say? I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll, I'll dance you right through all those ideas. Um, <laughs> so, can you let me be the funny one? Uh, I, I don't know. You're gonna you can try if you want. I guess. But, <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. Um, okay, so, geez, two years old. 79 your parents were so so you did get low but it was mostly oh, yeah. when you were sleeping what did how did they know would you seize or would you like was it sweating how did how did you know you were low back then if you were asleep i mean so i didn't what's my mom i don't think my mom has ever had a, a restless a restful night ever <laughs> uh so i i grew up on the east coast and i just howid howid so most of the time, a little bit of a helicopter mom would recognize lows during the day. I, and then I was also trained to feel some of those lows. So there was no insulin sensors. The blood machines would take 120 seconds in order to record a blood test. Big giant door that would flip closed. They weren't that accurate. So as a matter of fact, we used to actually test blood sugar just on urine strips at the time before we got the, the glucometers. And I would I wouldn't know at night, but some of that by the time my mom would come in, I mean I would almost, I'd be twitching, I'd be shaking, and then unable to swallow chocolate or juice. So they would have to put cake frosting actually in the side of my mouth. But because most of the time during the day, my parents would able to were able to observe, and I was you know more and more in tune with the feeling, mm-hmm. so I would manage it at the time. Wow, that's fascinating. You also made me think that I have an episode that's recorded. With um, an Italian mom and her her younger, you know, twenty uh, college age son, and they're from Long Island, and they were together on the episode, and it was just it was fantastic because she was just she was as East Coast and and Long Island as you could, uh, and she's lovely, and the kids like mom, you know, like it was just it was great. <laughs> I can't wait for that one to come out now that I'm thinking about it. Um, really, just like wonderful people. It's a great story too, but n- nevertheless, I can. I, I can really like imagine your poor mother. Like, there's no, I mean, you, you think about all the information that's available now, and I mean, just was really nothing, right? Like you said it earlier. You said, "What'd you say? Spray and pray. Just <laughs> put it in and hope nothing bad happens, right? And and try to live." And, yeah, I mean, there was no carb counting. There was none of that. So, and that you take the same dose every day, and, and regardless of what you eat or what your activity or level was. Yeah. And that's just the best they could do. And so your mom, your mom basically just hoped until it went, it got upside down, and then she she put it back again. Basically, yeah, but she's probably tired. Do you think she still thinks about you? Yes, I mean, both my parents are very involved. I mean, great parents. They uh, supportive of all of their kids. So, and they are obviously involved in my daughter's situation. So my parents are worried about me nonstop. And what's funny is, you know, when you're on a plane and the oxygen mask drops down, it's always obviously put the mask on first before you assist the little one. So that's what my parents always have to remind me because my default instinct is if my daughter and I are both low is to treat the daughter before I treat myself. But my parents' perspective is, Hey, you need to take care of yourself. So yeah, they nonstop. It's, it's a perpetual worry when you're uh, a parent of a diabetic. Were they um, like knocked over by new technology? 
It's incredible. So it's a blessing. And I think it might, it's also a little bit of a curse and I'll explain that. So yeah, yeah they think it, information is power. So my daughter has a, a, a plan that she can obviously have a phone and, and watch at school. So I can see in real time what, what my daughter's blood sugar is, text the school nurse, the school nurse makes an, a notification that set my daughter down. So that's incredible. What I think the curse part is though, is people are so reliant on technology that they don't recognize the symptoms. So as someone like my daughter is getting lower and lower and she's a new diabetic, so that will come with time. It's she's overly relying on the technology as opposed to recognizing the symptom. And sometimes I think that could be dangerous in the short term. So I think that's a little bit of a, a, min- a, a minor curse, but overall the technology has been incredible. It's what they can do now has been really amazing. And hopefully there's some bright stuff on the horizon. Let me get your perspective a little deeper on that. Is that a problem that you've actually witnessed or a concern? You Fair question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's probably a concern. I haven't, no, I haven't witnessed it enough because I do see actually my daughter saying, I feel low and I'm reminding her, Hey, what does that look like? What does it see? What do you feel like? Hey, can, what can you see? What can you read? Because my symptoms, I uh, they've evolved over the years, and I've been able to recognize things later that I couldn't have recognized when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So I'm programming, at least asking, hopefully asking questions. And my wife is doing the same. She's very involved in in my daughter's care to be to ha- encourage her to recognize those signs. So it's more of a concern than yeah than uh, than something I've seen. The, the reason I asked is because I remember when my son was younger, I would sit him down and tell him about glorious football games where the Eagles scored ten points and the Giants scored three, and they beat the crap out of each other for four hours, and no, no one ever threw a ball over twenty yards. And my kids like, I would like to see a forty to thirty-five game kind of situation. I want to see you know eighty points, the ball fly over the place. He doesn't think of football the way I think of it. And when I watch football now, I think, oh, just just a catch with a bunch of rich guys. They're having a catch. Like, like when are they going to try to kill each other? And he doesn't care about that. And I just wonder if it's just sometimes you just get steeped in what you think is the way. And then you see a new thing and you judge it as not as good as the thing you grew up with, I guess, or something like that. Because I hear people say what you say, but I never see it. Like, like I... Do you know what I mean? Like if we yes. got into a time machine and went back to 1979 and gave your mom like, I'm like, yo, hey, lady, <laughs> I'm here from the future. This is a Dexcom. And uh, <laughs> you know, like, and no way yeah. would I ever go back to those days. Of yeah. course not. I right, mean, right, right. the evolution, this it's way, way better. This, But let me give you an example. Two days ago, my pump did, had an issue and I couldn't change the cartridge. And basically the pump broke down. And ironically, I have a, a, another pump. So I'm able to reset and get that done. So then I sat there and thought about my kid. What would she do? What would I do if she was in Coachella and her pump broke? What would I do if she is on in a vacation? Is this kid going to know how to then go get Traceba, mathematically figure, or sorry, whatever insulin, yeah. you know, uh, launch, uh, mathematically figure out how much to prescribe and then say, hmm, I haven't given a shot in 15 years or whatever the time frame is. Let me go get needles. And now how much... So I just don't know. I think that's what I mean. So, so but it, that said, I would never go back. That's yeah. the stone ages of diabetes compared to what we have today. So if it makes you feel better, uh, my daughter couldn't give herself a shot. And so my daughter's had diabetes since she was two years old. She's 17. And 
she's never given herself an injection. And if she had, yeah. she was five when she did it and just tried it or, or not even five, three and was like, I'll give this a whirl. If I handed my daughter a needle right now and I was like, hey, guess what? We're going back to needles. She'd be like, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on, slow down, everybody. Just like, can't they FedEx a pump? You, you, you know, like what's going on? But I 100%. But then she'd do it. She would. She wouldn't just lay down and die. Like she would do it. But so I think that's the answer. I think that, yeah, your daughter wouldn't know how to do that, you know, 15 years from now if she's never used it before, but she'd figure it out or you'd help her or someone would. You, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I get, 100%. Yeah, I get your point. I just don't think it's worth worrying about, I guess. No, I hear you. But that's yeah. back to my thing that a kid can never opt out of or a diabetic. And of course they'd figure it out because you have no other choice. Yeah. So that's what I mean. It's like, hey, you got COVID in your line and it's like, you still got to take insulin. So there's not, a, there's not, there's not an off day. So yeah, of course they're going to figure it out because the other option is not an option. Well, I want to dig into that because I have a feeling like I know where you will go deeper on that idea. But when you say you can't opt out when you're the parent of a kid who has type one versus when you're an adult, do you mean that you can just, as a person living with diabetes, make a decision of like, I'm not really going to pay attention to this today and my blood sugar is going to get high and whatever I'm just doing. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 not at all. No, the, no. no, I'm saying the kid always, a person with diabetes always has to be cognizant of that. That's what I mean. So whether you're sick, whether you're traveling, whether, so my preparation for a, a trip is different than my wife's preparation for a trip. I got to bring a, you know, a vat of stuff. Mm. So that's what I mean is there's never an off day for the diabetic, I took whether you, you want to okay. pay attention or not. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was, I was hearing you backwards. Okay. No, um, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. So, but as a parent, you feel like, well, there's another person who could just take over for me for a couple of hours, like a, a spouse or a loved one, or somebody could step in and maybe give you a hand for a minute and, and, and expel you a little bit, let you sit on the bench. For oh, for sure. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, my, our journey is relatively good compared to probably other folks that I hear about. And we have a lot of support from family and a lot of support from friends. So there's a lot of people that are vested in my daughter's care. I mean, the school has been fantastic. So yeah, I'm not managing this nearly as much as actually my wife is. My wife is on the the follow app like 29 hours a day. Mm. So I'm like, I'm not even going to have her high alerts on. I don't even care. Let you worry about those. So no, my wife way manages it more than I do. So that's interesting. Then um, do you have trouble? Well, let me see how to ask this question. You've diabetes a long time. How long ago was your daughter diagnosed? Uh, August of 2020. How so old? just over a year ago. How old was she then? She was eight. Okay. Uh, first question: Did you, have you been worried about her since she was two, getting diabetes, or no? Not ironically, head? what's the craziest? Not only have I not been worried, uh, what's also interesting is I didn't even recognize the symptoms when she was when, when she was diagnosed, and that's what's crazy. <laughs> um. What, what were the symptoms? So we were on a trip to San Diego and typical vacation. I mean, beach vacation kid was not perpetually thirsty. She was not constantly going to the bathroom, minimal, not a, no weight loss. So the traditional sign, not lethargic. I mean, we had a beach vacation. We're up late. This, kids are jumping on the bed. She did wet the bed in San Diego. I mean, she's an eight-year-old. It wasn't obvious, but it's like, Hey, Maybe there's that would have been the first indication, but still not enough that I'd be concerned based on all the other 
externalities. Hmm. We drove back from San Diego. I live in Arizona, which is a six ish hour drive. And she only had two bathroom breaks, despite what we've, the volume of, you know, what we, which wasn't even drinking that much. So you got to think you have water or two on the trip back from San Diego, not going to the bathroom a ton. The next morning, a couple more bathroom trips were like, maybe she has a urinary tract infection. We took her to the doctor and the doctor, we're actually fortunate because you hear of a lot of pediatricians that are not that in tune with the symptoms. So she tested negative for the, uh, the urinary tract infection. They, they drew her blood or they um, gave her a finger prick and she was 519. And then when my wife told me that her blood sugar was 519, obviously we knew that instantly. Mm-hmm. And they sent us over to, to uh, the hospital out here. Wow. Oh, okay. So do you have any other kids? I do. How I have a, uh, a six-year-old. Okay. Have you done trial net? No. Would and you- I know that I've, um, uh, I have heard that you're a big fan of the sponsor. Are you... <laughs> Uh, well in fairness to me (laughs) i've had them on a number of times over the years and just thought they were great to support and then very recently they asked if they could buy ads but i would have said trial net whether they were paying or not (laughs) all right also they only bought a short run so it's over already so this part's getting cut out right no i'll leave it in i've already spent their money uh i sent it to my kids college or whatever so um but uh no, I just think I, I, it's not that I think you should or you shouldn't. I'm just interested in how people think about it. Like, would you want to know if your other child had auto antibody markers? When you have diabetes and use insulin, low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvoglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvoglucagon.com slash risk. Your free tickets to Touched by Type 1's annual conference are waiting for you right now at touchedbytype1.org. The event, which will be held on Saturday, August 27th at the Lowe's Portofino Bay Hotel at Universal Orlando, will run from 9 to 4. And during that day, there's going to be all kinds of great speakers, including me, which, you know, don't let that ruin it for you. But Scotty's going to be there talking if you want to come out and hear me do the chit-chat about the diabetes. Absolutely free. Touchedbytype1.org. Go to their programs tab at the top and then click on Annual Conference. Go get your tickets now. Are you using an insulin pen but wish it did more? Well, this episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. So lucky for you, I'm going to tell you about an insulin pen that does more. This pen is connected to an app on your phone, and that's really where a lot of the great stuff comes into play, because this app offers you your current glucose readings, your meal history, dosing history, activity log, glucose history, active insulin remaining, and a dosing calculator. So you're getting an insulin pen that's speaking to an app on your phone through Bluetooth. And because of that, you're able to get information that most people only get with an insulin pump. So if you're looking for much of the convenience from a pump without actually pumping, InPen today 
www.dosingrate.com. Here's a quote right from the website from an InPen user. She says, I love the dosing recommendations. It allows me to keep on track so I'm not taking too much insulin and then having to deal with lows. Go check out the website. It's got everything you need to know. You can see the pen, you can see the app, and some of the other good stuff that comes along with the pen. For instance, it says right here, the support you need when you need it. Whether you're new to injection therapy or experienced or an experienced user, our support is tailored to you. They offer you options like 24-hour technical support, hands-on product training, and online educational resources. You can again learn more about them at inpentoday.com. There's an offer here on the site, and there's a little asterisk. The asterisk always means it means something like it says, uh, offer is available to people with commercial insurance terms and conditions applied. You may pay as little as $35 for the impen because Medtronic Diabetes does not want cost to be a roadblock to you getting the therapy you need with impen. So go check it out. There's all kinds of information on this website. You'll be able to figure out if the impen is right for you. Inpentoday.com. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to touch by type 1, GivoKypoPen, and InPen. And if you're looking for those Diabetes Pro Tip episodes, they begin at episode 210 in your podcast app, or you can find them at juiceboxpodcast.com or diabetesprotip.com. So let me emphasize again, this is just my approach and my perspective, and I understand both sides of it. Uh, I personally don't. And because, and I've heard a lot of different debates. Why? I mean, what is it going to do? What is it going to give me? What is it information? There's nothing that I can change. So why sit there in the back of my mind? Is it August 11th? Is it, uh-oh, a couple of kids have been sick and hospital runs are high? Is mm-hmm. it now July? So I don't know if I want to add, because I don't know if there's behavior yet that has shown enough data that it's a, that I could course correct. Well, so I, it's information I don't want to know. Yeah, no, I completely, I don't judge people on that thought. I think it's people fall into two camps and I understand them. I would tell you that TrialNet would tell you that um, your child's uh, possibility of going to DK if they were diagnosed goes down significantly if they're in the trial and they have a prevention study going on that could hold off the um, onset of diabetes by a number of years. And I think, and, you know, plus data for, you know, uh, temizaplob, which is a, a drug they're working on. And I don't know if you've ever heard the the gentleman the, the, who runs that that company who's making that drug, but it's a really fascinating interview about how he hopes to change diabetes in the world. Um, it's, it's just, I can't go into it right now, but I'm not saying you should. I was just interested in, in your thoughts. So thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and you guys did use that for your daughter, right? Uh, my son went to trial net. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Your son was second. Yeah, he did not have, um, he didn't have, uh, the antibodies at that time and they don't retest if you don't have any. So if he's developed them since then, we don't know. Um, but God, you're going to bum me out and make me wonder if my kid's going to get my other kid's going to get diabetes. Jeez, Howard, <laughs> way, to, way, to, way to move me. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, so hey, you were the catalyst. You brought it up. Yeah, I, mean, I, I just, really was. I just my leaned fault. in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I apologize. You're trying to push fault. this trial net on me. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Well, I'm trying to make it your, your, your problem that I got sad for a second. Um, okay. So when, you're, when your daughter's diagnosed, you look 
at the world now, but what is the world now to you? So you're using a pump. Were you using a CGM before she was diagnosed? I was. Okay. All right. So you've got CGM, you've got a pump, you, 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 you know, the world now around diabetes. If you're not comfortable with the numbers, you don't have to give them to me, but are you happy with your care prior to her being diagnosed? Yes. So my, my, I was a three, uh, every three months, endocrinology appointments, retina doctors once a year when, you know, I was had enough diabetes. I probably wasn't the best kid diabetic. What I mean by that is, oh shoot, I got to see the doctor. Let me go write a bunch of blood sugars down in my log. So I'm not yelled at my A1Cs when I was a kid were not amazing. I mean, I was probably printed nines. I probably printed tens and I shouldn't say that's not amazing. It's just a data point. So I printed scores that were probably most parents would not be that excited about. Since I've been on a pump in 2005, I've never printed above a seven. My A1Cs are six to six, five or so. Mm-hmm. I'm probably stricter. I probably micromanage my diabetes to the point where I'm lowish, higher percentage of times on my pump than most people are, which causes me to snap back on the high side, which hey, impacts my A1C. Tell me so about my last A. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, before you go on, tell me what low means to you. Uh, usually below 70. Okay. All right. So you go below 70 and then you correct or are you using an algorithm? I correct with, with uh, 15 grams of carbs generally. Okay. And a little bit more potentially on how low I am. Okay. Um, and then you bounce later. That, does that never make you think I'll try eight grams of carbs? It's a great question. I've never really thought of I, and And back to my point where I could do better is I might even overcorrect because when you're the diabetic kid, you were like, you can't get high enough quick enough. When you're the diabetic parent, you set, you set a timer and wait 15 minutes. So it's always a do as I say versus do as I do. Because when I'm 40, there's no way to explain what that feels like to somebody. And I thought about it this whole car ride over this yeah. conversation in case that came up. But so I, I overcorrect. But have I thought about the eight grams of carbs to answer the question is no, it's a great great idea that I, I wouldn't be opposed to trying at all. I'm going to ask you a question. The feeling that you're trying to get rid of, is it visceral and it needs to go away? So you just like, do you think the more I eat, the faster this will go away? Because does that really correlate? Like would eight not work as well as 15 or a hundred percent? It makes oh. no sense. You're absolutely right. I mean, and the, and you're not going to go up right away. I mean, we overtreated my daughter yesterday, so I, it's, there's no logic behind it. Okay. Um, but the feeling is not, it's uncomfortable. I don't think it's like, I need this to go away. So I've actually almost trying to come to the point where I can trick myself into appreciating it. Maybe like, Hmm, there's people that drink a lot of beer to get tuned up. Maybe I can almost trick myself into thinking I had a couple of drinks, which is not really the right way to approach it, but it's uncomfortable. you feel like you're coming out of your skin. Like if you ran a Turkey trot on the East coast where it's freezing and your body's warm, after the turk but then you instantly stop and you get hit by that cold air right that's the way it feels it's yeah. like wow i'm really uncomfortable right now and that's the best way i can describe it it's just a, a complete quick change to how your entire system feels and correct and you just want it to go away correct okay do you think being low stops you from thinking straight about it i have 42 years of experience so probably not as much as somebody that's newer and back to a do as I say, not as I do. Like 
I've probably driven on lower blood sugar than I should. And I would never want my daughter or anybody that's listening to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I'm of, I'm of the camp of I'm so, which is actually hypoglycemic unawareness is a real thing, but I still feel low in the eighties. So hopefully I can manage it quicker than, than some others. But the initial question that started us down this road is I do, I am a very diligent carer of my, my care. I mean, I, I, I print low sixes, which could be better. Of course, I go to see a retina doctor on a scale of zero to 10. They rate me a one for zero being the best in terms of, um, my mind just went blank. What are those called? But uh, ablation or, um, what are they called? Uh, the, 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 the shadows in the eye. So I'm rated really, really well, mm-hmm. no neuropathy on toes or anything like that. So cool. for somebody that was casual in the beginning, became much more diligent later in life, had a, uh, had a lot of, had a good college experience, had a great adult experience. It hasn't impacted me to the point where I've seen some of the long-term effects that have impacted others. Yeah. I said earlier, you're interesting because you're a dinosaur, but you're young. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Usually when I hear people's stories like this, they're usually o- a little older than you just because you were diagnosed so young at the right time to hit all these different changes in insulins and technology. You've kind of lived through a lot of the of the lifetimes of diabetes, actually. Yeah. When I heard that Jocelyn only gave out like 50 year medals and there wasn't a lot of them, I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> It's not that far away. (laughs) You might be be getting an 80-year medal one day. (laughs) Let's hope so. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so uh, initial thoughts when your daughter's diagnosed. Shocking? Scared? Oh, I was happy. We lit fireworks. It was awesome. We had a party. You should have seen it. It was great. (laughs) Finally. Yeah, absolutely. What took so long? Gang up on our (laughs) mom now. (laughs) That might have been your best question so far. So I will say that's a good question except for that one. No, uh, we were we were dejected, obviously, but and we we were way fortunate. Did I lose you? Or are you still on? Did you hang up on me? No, I'm trying to figure out if your response is the same as people who don't have diabetes whose kids are diagnosed. Oh, um, so yeah, I didn't go. Through, I don't think so. Actually, where then did the anger didn't get the why me? We didn't have as much of a range of emotions because mm-hmm. you have to spring into action. What I think I could have done better is opening up myself to be educated as well, because there's so many things that you take for granted having that experience that you could benefit from. Like, I didn't really even know what a honeymoon effect was. I didn't know certain things that were important that I didn't, I, you shouldn't undercut the education that the hospital provides. Right. Um, my wife had to go through basic carb counting when I just want to get out of the hospital and get her home. When that type of stuff is very important. So you, I had to step back a little bit and appreciate the education and pause to understand that not everyone is up to speed of where I was. So I didn't go through probably the ranges of anger and frustration, really, I mean, sad, but also I did feel empowered that, that I had the tools to help her. That, in, that initial um, education in the hospitals, were you hearing things where you're like, I didn't know that. Or are you just like, wow, this is, I know all this, but it's, it's cool that they're saying it. Like, which, like, how did it feel? Yeah. Like? In, in the beginning, I don't, normally it's like two or three days stay depending on circumstances. And I wanted to test out. I'm like, let me test out of this. I know this stuff. I know this stuff. Before I got, I saw what they were going through in the program and all that stuff. I probably had ego and type a went in. 
once I sat down and saw what they were presenting and the food choices and the food charts, um, the biggest th- the biggest awareness to me was I, I, that the honeymoon phenomenon and how little insulin. I couldn't believe what a half unit was. And you mentioned that on one of your podcasts on your daughter yeah. uh, that you can't understand what that is. So I was initially in a rush to get out of there and just get this kid home. Mm-hmm. But I, um, it was invaluable what, what we got from just the details. And then what's interesting is she was diagnosed during COVID and I was the one that spent the night just to watch over and make sure and babysit this thing as it goes on and you know, work with the nurses in the hospital. Not that I was adding any value, but you know what I mean? I sat. So, and then when my wife had to come in, it's like, you have to change places in the hospital and do all of those things. So they spent a lot of time with her, which I, which I also thought was pretty great. Okay. So now your wife reaches out into the world to find information. Um, she's the one that found the podcast, right? Correct. So what would lead her to do that if you've got type one? I, I'm a huge fan of different perspectives. And so is she. I mean, there's so, and I also, same thing is I'm not, I, I don't, I, there's so much I need to know. And there's so much I still could know. And I think the, the hospital education made us aware about fundamental diabetes that I was taken for granted. I mean, I was, you know, 43 or 42 when my, my daughter got it. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of that stuff for granted. So I, I'm a big, from whether it's JDRF or whether it's other diabetic parents in the area or whether it's, you know, information through podcasts, there was nothing like that back before. So I've always encouraged and she's even, you know, self-motivated to find that out and learn as much. You- she would candidly tell you and yeah. I don't like to paint somebody else's perspective, but she would candidly tell you that um, I, because how we made diabetes look kind of easy, I didn't really have to worry about it. And this was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the depths of what this involves and all the other impacts. It's not just like, hey, don't eat sugar yeah. or you know, take a shot. There's so many varying circumstances that has opened her eyes. And because of that, she's sought information proactively on her own. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to get to. So are you, so she's not involved in your care prior to your daughter? Involved. Yeah. I mean, you're, you can't be uninvolved, but Hey, you know, my blood's low. Can you help me with orange juice or there's times that, or, but she's real recognized. Hey, you're low. Do you need something? Do you need something? But it was definitely, much, much, much more casual. Yeah. But no, she was never involved in my palm. Never, you know, didn't, I, none of that type of stuff. More just observation. Are you okay? Right. And because that's that, that part is always like super fascinating to me because of my perspective, like the idea that you could live with somebody that has type one and only have like a loose understanding of it is, um, it's just, un, it's so unlike my experience that it's why I ask the question. Usually I'm just always looking for answers that, that makes sense to me. Um, but I mean, I get it. I, I don't see why she would be. I just wanted to know if she was like, I'm wondering, like in my mind, like your, your daughter's diagnosed, like, does your wife step back and go, Oh God, like how he's so bad at this. I can't let this happen to my daughter. Or, or, or is she like, I don't know anything about this. Like, was it a moment of realization for her where she's like, I really don't know as much about this as I even thought I did. The latter for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, has your health, benefited from your daughter's diagnosis? I don't know if I have data or stats to measure that, but I, so, um, 
I don't think I have enough information to save. So, so my A1Cs haven't changed. My, my tandem percentages and lines haven't changed. So I can't say it's gotten better or worse since then. No, okay. I, because one other thing I want to emphasize is we really, really, really like I, I, my parents in the old days would say, Hey, like a normal kid, like a normal kid. And they've really stepped back because they don't want to perpetuate that. So it's the same thing as we want to think of the uh, my, my daughter as a kid first yeah. and you're a kid number one. So the diabetes is almost like, Hey, you can eat what you want as long as we track it, measure it. And she's never hiding food because of how we let the, her live like my other daughter. Yeah. And so because of that, nothing's really changed. We don't cut our food. We don't do anything differently. We kind of still eat what we, we eat when I've always managed that anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, my care hasn't changed that much. Would if I don't know, I'm again, the numbers are, you can share them if you want, but I don't care. Um, but your variability, your, your A1C, your outcomes, would you be comfortable if your outcomes were your daughter's outcomes or do you want? Her? Yes, you are. Okay. That's a hundred percent. Okay. Um, and so is it fair to say that she's close to you? Or are you having luck managing her that way? Or is it harder with her? Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of things is, and in also perspective is of the physicians that I see are also celebrating my care for my, my time frame and my lack of uh, complications. Mm-hmm. So this isn't just that I've been, I've been really paying, um, spending a lot of time and, and, and managing it and it, it takes work, but it's definitely, you get a good return. So the physicians have supported that. And I would definitely be happy where my daughter's at. And one other thing to think about is the margin of improvement between a six and a seven supposedly in an A1C comes with such significant risk of lows. I personally still would rather be a six. So I do try to, I tend to try to run low. My daughter hasn't printed above a seven since she's been on the pump. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she still has, you know, obviously there could be some, some measures of improvement, but she's been seven since she's been on the pump and she's only been on a pump for eight months. So I think she went on fully in March of this year. Mm-hmm. because and which is accelerated by the way they let us on a dexcom quicker and they let us on a pump quicker probably because of my experience yeah i would imagine do you guys pre-bolus meals consistently so back to the ability to always learn something i do yes we do her as well it's actually come back to bite us because she's not eating as much as we put in sometimes yeah so then i have to over treat and say, Hey, you're not eating lunch, but Hey, enjoy these Skittles. Um, but I, I do pre bolus. Yes. Okay. And that I've seen an improvement there because just like that modest improvement of it tends to tick up. So I do take about a, a bolus 15 minutes early. Cool. That's excellent. Um, now, so I have other questions. So first thing I was going to say, just to, to kind of lean into what you just said a second ago, if she's not eating well, um, you could do an extended bolus and then bail on it if she doesn't eat. That's, Interesting. That's one way to do it. Um, like so, it's brilliant. So you could do an extended bolus, but over only over thirty minutes. So you still pre bolus. Um, say her meals five units, which is probably heavy for her, but I don't know. Um, say it's five units. You do five units. Um, put in, I, I don't know, fifty percent now, and the other fifty percent over thirty minutes. So by the time your pre bolus is over she's got some of it, you know what I mean? You could work with the numbers and the time and stuff like that, but you could get it to a point where she's got some of it enough that the pre-bolus is going to work and she won't spike, but that you could bail on the bolus if she doesn't finish the food. 
Oh, that's brilliant. That's one way to do it. You could also, I mean, you know, you could bolus some and double her basil and attempt basil um, to kind of make up the rest and then bail on that if you wanted to. Like, there's all kinds of ways to, like, kind of futz with the the insulin to try to make it, um, to put it where you want it without it making her low later. But um, what I'm what I'm super interested in is that if your wife's, so your wife listens to the podcast, you just listen to some to prep yourself for coming on the show. So it was your wife's idea for you to come on the podcast. Do you want to keep shining a light on that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it's fine. No, no, no. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I I actually wanted to talk. Yeah. So my, I thought of the patient to parent. I was like, "Uh, it's a pretty good story. She motivated. She's like, look, you got to listen to this. You got to talk to this. There's a great story. So my wife is the the motivator to come on here. Yes. And so she wants the story, but do you think there's any part of her that wants you to hear what I think about management? Of course. Okay. All right. Do you, okay. Because if she's listening to the podcast and you're saying six, almost seven's fine, I'm going to tell you, like, my daughter's 17. Her A1C has been between 5'2 and 6'2 for eight years. She eats whatever she wants, just like you. We don't mess with food, um, except I probably just have a different idea of of where her blood sugar should sit stable than you do. That's pretty much it, I'm guessing. Um, as far as the number goes, not to say one's right or one's wrong. So when you listened to get ready, you kind of listened to pro tips and stuff like that. Like, what did you think when you were listening? Did you think, did you think I was an idiot or did you like, like what you heard somewhere in between? I definitely didn't think you're an idiot. I, uh, one is I was very appreciative of, of the variability of what your topics are. So there's no way that a not diabetic versus diabetic wouldn't find value or information based on the variety of topics. I also thought the information that you're giving is usable. So even if you get, if you think in one hour, if I got three pieces of information, that's invaluable. And the return on that is great. Just what you gave me right now about bolusing and the extended bolus. So I'm a huge fan of learning and trying to understand information. So I like one, the variability to some of the specific tips with, I thought the, the fat with, um, it was bolusing for, the, it was the pro tip number 430, I think. Yeah, bolusing for fat and protein. Right. Yeah. So I think that's tr- huge too, which is an extended bolus feature. Some pumps have more variability or flexibility in that, but the, the ones that are going to resonate with me are the spe- specificity on how can I get better from a 6.5 to a 6.0. I think that would be that that's invaluable. Yeah, I'll tell you there's another fat episode that if you enjoyed that you'll like. I'm looking up the number for you right now. Um on my it's weird to do some it's 471. It's called bolusing insulin for fat. Okay. Um if you like that pro tip, you should listen to that. Cuz that'll give it's you It's with you it's with you and your educator on no, that one, right? No, no on this one it's going to be me and a mom from Canada. Okay. Who writes a blog called Waltzing the Dragon, and she's she'll go through exactly how you can count the fat grams and make a bolus to counteract the fat rise. It's fascinating, and it works really well for mo- most people. Yeah, that's the stuff that I have a hard time with. Um, certain, you know, Asian foods that with the sauces, I usually kick up in those chicken pho. I always miscount things like that. So, anything that's going to give me tips and improvement on mitigating highs from foods that I tend to eat all the time. Yeah. 
would be very helpful. I'm going to guess, and you, if I'm wrong, you'll stop me, but I'm, I'm putting myself out on, on the branch here. Um, your high alarm on your Dexcom set at like 200? Mm, let me even look. I think it's 180. 180 was my first guess. I should have went with my gut. Damn it. Yeah, it's 180. Okay. If you set that at 150, your A1C will go down. But the, here's the thing. Am I supposed to then jump in? I don't know what which pump your daughter's on, assuming she's on a pump. Right. I hear mixed reviews where if I'm I'm going to keep jumping in to overcome the control IQ, will that will that change me to the oh, then my you're saying the control IQ will kick in earlier. No, I'm saying you're you, you paying attention is is a big deal. So um, I know you're using control IQ and it's, what is its target? Like 112 and a half or something like that. Um, but if, so if you're setting, well, listen, we'll talk through it for a second. So when you are completely away from food or meal insulin, like overnight, where does your blood sugar sit stable? This is my daughter. That's my wife brought this one up to me. It's like, it's perfect. It's like incredible. My wife said that you were talking about this not too long ago. It's at 100-ish. I mean, it's hard to see right now because I'm looking at the pump instead of the app. Right. Because I'm on my phone, but it's close to 100 or low 100. Okay. Are you in sleep Uh, mode when you're doing that? I don't change anything. My my program is changes in the middle of the night, but I don't actually go on to sleep mode automatically, no. Okay. So I hear from people that sleep mode can be a little more aggressive. And so if overnight, just think about this for a second, if overnight your blood sugar sat at 85 or 90 instead of 100, your A1C would probably drop like 0.7. Like just that, All right, that's that, easy. So that's interesting. That, so you're starting sleep mode or your the suggestion is to start sleep mode potentially right before obviously you go to sleep so my and da- it's going to be tighter in the middle of the night. Yeah, so my daughter loops, so she has uh, the do-it-yourself algorithm right now. But um, we're going to try Omnipod 5 when it comes out, too. Um, but the um, but the Control IQ, from what I understand from people, so I don't have it, but from what I understand from people, sleep mode can be a little more aggressive. And so there's a way that people use it. Some people stay in it 24 hours a day um, to kind of, like, keep the algorithm, I don't know. Like, again, I've never, again, I've never done it. Uh, but But so, like... Overnight last night, while you were sleeping at 100, which, by the way, is magical, like, and especially to somebody, I should say, who's had diabetes for as long as you have, who's lived through so many different iterations of diabetes, it must just be amazing to you that there's an algorithm, like, cutting your basal back and keeping you from getting low. Like, it, it must be magical. And um, But um, the one my daughter's using right now was a little more user-defined. So last night, while you were sitting super stable at 100 overnight, Arden was sitting super stable at 85 overnight. And... Then the next thing I do that you probably don't do is I have tighter tolerances on her CGM so that I'm so that we're aware of her blood sugar. So the way I think about her blood sugar is I think my low is set at 65. I'd prefer for her not to get under 70, uh, but she doesn't really. Honestly, that doesn't happen um, more than a couple of times a month. And so. But her high alarm on my phone is set at 120. And on her phone, it's set at 1.30. And my theory behind that is the sooner you know that you're going up, the sooner you can make a correction. And when you make that correction at a lower number, you use less insulin. When you use less insulin, you have a lower chance of having a low blood sugar later. 
So instead of waiting till you're 180 and going, uh, what, what happened here and having to put on a bunch of insulin, which might cause a low later, which might cause you to eat 15 carbs that might cause you to go back up high again. Why not find out at 120 that things are a little askew and just nudge it back again? And then it's this one little thing you do, it's over, and you, then you skip the hour and a half where your blood sugar is going to 180 that you don't know it because you're not getting an alarm, and then all the rigmarole that comes afterwards. So it, that's how I think of it. You're 100% right. The, the issue is, is what's funny is I actually, when we started, I talked about micromanaging diabetes is because I tend to try to run them before they hit up that high. Mm -hmm. When I was always like, hmm, but then I was educated that you should try to let control IQ run its course, but I would rather try to tighten it up myself and front run it, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah, screw that noise. I am. I, I mean, I love algorithms. I think they're all terrific, but they need help. Yeah. Like, like it's, you know, it, it, you take control IQ as an example. You go out right now, find a, a, fer a feral type one walking around <laughs> who's, you know, A1C is nine and a half. And, you know, they don't, they, they don't know about pumping and CGMs. You slap a CGM on them, put a control IQ on them, turn that thing on. Their life gets immeasurably better. And if their blood sugar has to go up to 180 so that the algorithm can work and bring it back down, it's still, it's such a, a, an amazing improvement for their life. But if you're a person who's talking about, like, I want my A1C to be in the fives, well, then you got to figure out how to work with that algorithm. Like your daughter's going to want to have a baby one day, maybe. And her OB is going to tell her that her A1C needs to be five to do that. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And and I guess my point is, is that if my 17-year-old daughter can have a 5.5, five, I think that was her last one. And um, I can tell you that in the last four days that she's had a, a Moe's bowl for lunch, which in your local, so you probably know what that is. It's a, It's basically... Mexican fast food, um, you know, with a ton of like rice and sour cream and all these things that are a problem. Um, last night she had a salad for dinner, but, um, I think it's cause she exercised. So she was like, I'm gonna have a salad. <laughs> and, but you know, she's also had pizza gone out for burgers with her friends. Like she eats as, as you know, quote unquote, normally as you can possibly imagine. And the only thing that I do differently than other people is we react sooner. Um, and we take advantage of overnight hours. And that's your 5A1C. Like you listen to those pro tips again and just adjust your thinking a little bit. Like I know you think like it'll there'll be more lows, but I, I see fewer lows than when my daughter was bouncing around before. Because the bouncing around to me is where the problem really happens. So sometimes people don't pre-bolus or they don't understand the impact of the food they're eating. So they use the too little insulin. They end up spiking up. Um, eventually they get tired of it. They correct that spike in the middle of the spike working their food digests out of their system. There's nothing left to hold up the blood sugar. They come plummeting down, they panic, they overtreat, they go back up again. And then they, they'll, some people chase forever. Like no kidding. Like you can see, I've had people send me graphs that just go on for days where they just go up and down and up. They just, they're out of sync with what's happening. Um, they don't recognize that insulin uh, used now isn't for now it's for later that kind of an idea and um, yep. and and they just chase forever but once you find stability and you can dial in your basal and that insulin sensitivity and create that stability at a lower and lower number it you don't have once your settings are right 
Howie, you don't have any more of a chance of being low if you're 85 all the time than you do if you're 120 all the time. But I do think you'll be low more frequently if your blood sugars frequently go over 160 at a meal. That's so I'm just going to change my high settings on the on the control IQ to 150. That's what you're saying here. That's what yours are at now. I'll at least see what that looks like for the next month or two. There's at least just to yeah, there's a really interesting study. There's someone from Dex, there's a scientist from Dexcom somewhere in these 600 episodes um, that the tighter your tolerances are in your Dexcom, just meaning that the more you pay attention to your blood sugar, the lower your A1C cut drops and the better your variability gets. And it's just because acting sooner creates a, an environment, like I said earlier, where you use less insulin and when you're, you know, if you don't get high, you know, if you won't get high and then you don't get low and then you don't chase. And it's, it's just a really simple idea, really. It's um, for sure. Yeah. The way I think of it, and it's in one of those episodes somewhere is, you know, when you're driving down the road and you find yourself veering a little bit, you're just kind of drifting to the right. You don't turn the wheel 180 degrees to the left. You just nudge it back a little. You know what I mean? And if you were to oversteer, you'd end up in the other lane and then you'd be like, oh, God, I'm going to hit a car. And then you'd be oversteering the other way. And then that's up and down, up and down, up and down, except, you know, side to side because you're driving. But if you just make these little bumps and nudges to the wheel, if you really think about how you drive a car, most of your hand movements are almost imperceivable to your eye. Even that's what you should be doing with diabetes It's just making these small adjustments along the way. Um, and I think as the algorithms get better. And hopefully all of them, like I'll, every one of them, Control IQ, whatever Medtronic's got coming out, Omnipod 5 when it happens, I, all these companies, like I call on them personally to go back to the drawing board, create a lower target and go back to the FDA and get it through the FDA. Because while these things are amazing and they're going to help a great number of people, they're not going to be as valuable to a person like me. Because if I slap an algorithm on my daughter, I mean, are you telling me I got to hurry once he needs to go up a full point so that I can have an algorithm? You, you know what I mean? Like they need to, I think it's imperative for them to spend some money and some man hours and some time, all of them, to get the the goal target down lower so that the FDA says, you know what, let's let the user say, I'd I'm shooting for 85 or I'm shooting for 90 or I'm shooting for 95. Like, let the user make that decision. And then the algorithm should support it. So you'll be correcting at 150 just for the sake of the argument to make it easy. And then it's going to 180 and it's still continuing up. You're not adding correction then because you don't want to stack. You let that unit or ish work to bring down or would you correct again? I believe you're looking for an episode about stacking uh, where I'll tell you it's not stacking if you need it. So if you would have made a great bolus, you never make it to 150. And so if you made it to 150, your bolus wasn't right. Like there's a, you know, when you see people's like super flat lines online, you're like, Jesus, like that, like, you know, somebody puts a graph up and they're like, there's pizza in here. And you're like, where like, you can't even see it. Like that's somebody who really knows how to bolus for pizza or Chinese or just a regular meal. So my, yep. asser my assertion is I'm not shooting for a solid flat line. Like there are people who do that. I'm not one of those people. Um, I think that I've worn a CGM and I don't have diabetes and I've seen my blood sugar go up 120, 130, 140 for a meal. I've seen it hang a little bit and come back down again. So in my mind, 140 and it comes back on its own and doesn't get low. Sorry with me. I know I could have done better, but it's okay. 160 to me is a high blood sugar. And in my mind, 180 is a spike. 
Like I've significantly screwed up if we're 180 or above um, is how I think about it. It's like my, my overall concept around it. And I don't abide high blood sugar. So if a high blood sugar goes up, I bring it back down. I'd rather stop a low or falling blood sugar than fight with a high one. I will tell you that that sentence is at the backbone of how I think about diabetes. I'd rather stop a lower falling blood sugar than, than, than fight with a high. And I think that as you get better and better at bolusing for meals, the frequency of the highs goes away, which takes away the frequency of the lows as well. It's all, it, it's all timing and amount. You just have to have the right amount at the right time. So even though your algorithm, if I'm remembering control IQ, right, they all work about the same way. You make this big bolus and then it, leans on the bolus and takes away the basil. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so if you mess up, if you don't bolus enough, if your meal ratio is not heavy enough, then as soon as that basil goes away, you know, the carbs are like cracking their knuckles and like licking their chops. They're like, I'm going to win this. And, you know, it starts to go up. But if you had a, if your meal ratio was right and you pre bolused well enough, then that amount that you put in, should cover the basal needs and the meal needs. And then the algorithm should be able to say, okay, now is the time to put the basal back on. So if you're seeing spikes, I would look at your meal ratio. Does that make sense? Like you're, you're in for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would be as aggressive with the basal as I could be. I don't want lows, but I want to sit as low and stable as possible without the, without the algorithm cutting out all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like you want the algorithm, you want the basal to be able to run and for the algorithm to come in when it needs to and add a little or take a little away. You don't want your basal to be so heavy that the algorithm's always taking it away. So there's a somewhere between insulin sensitivity, basal and meal ratio. There's a balance in there where you'll, you'll find kind of perfection. And then after that, it's, it's understanding the differences between foods. It's understanding that you, you know, I don't care if you, you know, pour a bowl of frosted flakes and the box tells you it's 35 carbs, you need, it needs what it needs. So there are some foods where you have to ignore the carb count and bolus, you know, for the impact of the food that you know is going to come. And there are some, there's some foods that you can rely on your carb count and it works really well. Yeah. Chicken pho, back to that example. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, I could take 140 grams. It's still going to be. Yeah, dude, you got to do it. I, I don't, I couldn't even begin to tell you when my daughter was growing up, like, uh, you know, Chinese food. Like, I don't know how to count carbs in Chinese food. I, I'm not measuring it. There's no accurate carbs. What I learned was my daughter's Chinese meal needed a temp basal increase of about, about 180% for three hours. She needed about a 20-minute pre-bolus. And, and I had to be, and there was a number in my mind. Like, it didn't matter. I just knew it was like 15 units. You know what I mean? Like the, I, I never even bothered with it. I just learned from historical, like I go on the idea that people pretty much eat the same every time. You know what I mean? Like you're not like hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like how he's like a one slice guy, one Friday night and the next Friday night, he's like, I'm going to have seven slices of pizza. You're like, you're a two or you're a three or you're a one. Like, you know what I mean? So you kind of learn the impact of that food. The simple way I think about it is if you bolus for a meal and you spike and stay, and then it takes, I don't know, two more units to bring it down without making you low. Well, the next time you have that meal, I don't care what the carb count says, those two units from the correction belong in the initial bolus because that's what that meal takes for you aside of what your settings say. 
Um, you know, your settings might work great in all these other circumstances, but this one meal, they don't. So stop fighting with it and just, it's common sense. Put the two in with the meal and, and don't have the spike. You know what I mean? And back to your point about the algorithm, it's like, I, I don't know if this is still the case, but Medtronic, you could change your active insulin or insulin on board where tandem when you're in control IQ, it's five hours regardless. Yeah, they're all So different. that's even an impact. Yeah, they're all different. I mean, look, right now, I haven't used Omnipod 5 yet. I am, I, they're a sponsor. It's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying I really <laughs> want to use it because um, Loop, it, um, you have to use this little connecting device with loop called a, like a Riley link or an orange link. And my daughter does not like to carry it. It's an extra part. Omnipod's going to print the algorithm right on the pod. So you'll literally be able to walk away from the controller and it'll, and the algorithm's going to work fine with loop. If you get away from your phone, cause the algorithm's on the phone. If you get too far away from your phone and that link breaks, then the algorithm stops working. So I want Omnipod five to work for my daughter very badly. And we're going to try it. Um, but it's going to lack some of the user definability that the do it yourself system has. And, you know, right now my daughter's target for her algorithm is, I think it's 85. And so the algorithm's trying to get her to 85. And I mean, does it always work? It, it does a good job, but it also works like other algorithms. Like she's, she's been getting this kind of like, I don't know what it is, like excitement thing when she goes to school in the morning. And the algorithm kicks in and tries and tries and tries. And it holds her about at 140, 145, um, which is great. Like, you know what I mean? And then she'll, when she leaves school and that that kind of like excitement goes away, it, it comes back down again. Um, but we've been experimenting with different boluses, trying to bolus. We're trying to pre-bolus the excitement she gets when she goes to school or anxiety. I don't know what it is exactly, but, you know, her blood sugar rises in the morning. And so we've been working on different ways to kind of fool the algorithm because she's not taking in carbs. So if you just bolus for carbs, then it's going to, you know, or, or if you just make a like a straight bolus, I should say, without putting in carbs, it's going to take the basil away because it's going to suddenly think she has too much insulin. Um, this morning, we tried to bolus for a few carbs to see if that would work. It didn't. Tomorrow, I'll try to be more aggressive with it um, and try to get ahead of it. But like in my heart, I'm looking at my daughter's blood sugar right now. It's 142 and it's not upsetting to me. But I'm not just going to look at it. You, you know what I mean? Like we're we're gonna we're gonna move that number. Um, and so while you and I were talking, I texted her and I said, you know, uh, and, and to make a bolus, and she did. So she so what we did here to try to like get around the algorithm is we bolused three times her basal rate. So her basal is about one. So she just put in blindly three units because. I figure she needs about a unit and a half to move the, the blood sugar and she needs about a unit and a half to cover when the algorithm shuts off the basal because we've just put in a blind three units. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, so it sounds like you're managed so back to your, my question, your question to me about my wife and me, the care and the attention and splitting care. It sounds like most of the management's relying on you. Um, well, in certain situations, like you're going to have a hard time talking a 17 year old into thinking they have to bolus a 140 blood sugar while they're at school. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, and I don't see it as it's funny. I don't see it as micromanaging. I see it as managing. Like I, I, you know, if, if people want to say that, you know, Oh, my kid's blood sugar goes up to 225 at school and I don't micromanage them. I mean, all right, but that's like a seven and a half a one C eight, a one C like that. That's not micromanaging. That's, that's management. Like that's what diabetes requires. 
And so what what is happening over the years is that while I make these decisions, she's always involved in them. And it's my hope and desire that she's just kind of learning as she goes. And then the next piece is going to be to get her to want to do it consistently. And that I don't think is something you teach somebody. Like, I think that's maturity. So my idea is that she has the tools. She's seen them used. She knows when to use them. And now that next piece is, is the hope that she'll want to, because I can't make her, you, you, you know what I mean? So, um, if you're saying my art, like would Arden bolus for a high blood sugar, if I wasn't around, she would. Um, but would she think about it the way I think about it? I think to your point, no, because to your point earlier, right? Like I, I'm her parent. I probably care more about her than she cares about herself. Just like your mom, you know what I mean? For you and you now for your daughter. For sure. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I see it as a slow burn. Like it's, it's gonna, I think the worst that could happen on an algorithm is that if my daughter like completely flaked in college, maybe her A1C would go to like six and a half, you know, um, I wouldn't see anything terrible about that. I know she wouldn't sit around and stare at a really high blood sugar. Like she doesn't want to feel bad, you know? So once she's up at 180, she's not going to feel good. Just like you still feel a little hinky at 80 because, but if you drew yourself down a little and little, that would go away eventually, I think. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Are you having fun? Yeah, a hundred percent. I was actually going to also uh, ask you the fact is, uh, uh, wife, does she also get involved? Because that was another question that you asked me. Oh, uh, my wife is less involved than I am, but her job is more intensive than mine is. So during the day, my wife's like gone and like very confusing, long legal documents and on phone calls, you know, running meetings with a lot of people. My job allows me to kind of like look up more. Um, and plus I was the one who started it out. Like I was a stay at home dad when my daughter was diagnosed. So most of the information's in my head. So I still see my wife like asking questions and, and learning along the way. But the truth is she's a bright girl. Like if I just disappeared, like if Thanos snapped and I was gone, it would take my wife about a day and a half to figure this out. And, and to put everything into practice. Plus, I left behind a roadmap for her so she could just, that would be the ultimate indignity if she had to listen to the podcast. She would be. I mean, you're selling yourself short. You had to drum up uh, an hour and 12 minute conversation with a complete stranger and no preparation. It's pretty good. That's not that easy. Oh, dude, I'm great at this, but don't tell people. Okay. <laughs> it's, it seems immodest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you don't want to show off. No, no, no. Nothing like that. I don't want to do I, um, yeah, no, I mean, listen, the, the way I see these things is you come on, you are who you are, and then the conversation pulls out the story, and that way it's a nice, it's a real conversation. Like, you and I are just getting to know each other, and um, and that that's what makes it listenable. Like, if you were to come on and start reading a bulleted list, people would be like, uh, no thanks, I'm good. You, you know what I mean? Not that you would do that, but it, to me, it's it's not smart to have it so planned out that it feels stilted is usually yeah. how it authenticity. Goes. Yeah. Yeah. It just, and you know, it, just do it, just do it. You know, just have the conversation. <laughs> Don't be sorry. So is your wife going to be happy with this? Have you done what you were sent here to do? 
I mean, you tell me I, how many, it depends. I mean, how many more sponsors can we sell? Do you think we could do a good job? Let's take this thing to the streets. I, I like, absolutely. How, I like how I got an email from her the other day. Like she was your mom. She was like, <laughs> she was, it was almost like my Howie's coming on your show. <laughs> and I want to make sure that he's free. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, so. I figured you pinged her and you were like, I want to be ready for this. Like, what, what do I do? Is that how it went? Preparation is the godmother of execution. So, yeah, I like to. Uh, and that, the, you saw in the beginning, you're like, let me produce the show. You're more <laughs> the guest. I got the questions. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I know I look like I don't prepare, but I've been preparing to do this for 20 years. So, you know, I, I'm good. You, the, the conversation. You don't get to 590 shows by not being prepared. So, by mistake. at least that's what you're up to now. I don't know what you're up to before pre production. Yeah. Oh, I have. Uh, I mean, if it gives you any feeling like you won't come out for six months, at least. Really? Yeah. I have probably 60, 65 pre-recorded shows that haven't been up yet. I recorded. Wow. I recorded like at least three days a week. And I mean, I would imagine there's some people that don't make the cut. No, never happens. That's so funny. This comes up all the time. I have. um I think my number, I don't know the number even, uh, one time in the very beginning of kind of gender fluidity being very public, this person, this girl came on and talking about her partner made the partner upset because they were getting ready to travel overseas and she was worried that someone would recognize her from the podcast and she didn't want trouble. So that's a great episode nobody will ever hear. Um, I once did an episode with a young girl with type one who, in my best estimation, had some sort of a breakdown while we were talking. And I, I began to talk to her like she was my daughter. I continued the recording so that she could share it with her mother. And so that's never um, been out. I once, wow. I once recorded with a person whose microphone was so bad uh, that it just didn't work. And there was one time in the middle of a conversation that the conversation took such a strange turn that it made both of us very uncomfortable. And we just deleted it when it was over you cut it you're like man my recording cut out that actually looked funny i was like i hope there's no the last one i heard was when you like i said you were yelling at the lady that had a uh a woodpecker in the back i think that was the canadian lady actually I wasn't yelling at her what are you doing <laughs> yeah you're like ma'am can you fix your microphone and she's like oh i'm sorry i was you're like it's brushing against your shirt and she's like it's a woodpecker i'm like it's not a woodpecker <laughs> if it was a woodpecker i would think that was delightful um the, the last one was really crazy because i was talking with a person a woman in her 30s and we were having this like loose happy just like jokey conversation it was a lot of fun and halfway through it she just kind of took this great left turn and talked about a sexual assault like out of nowhere and i did not um it was hard i didn't i didn't adjust quickly enough and it just got i mean like literally like imagine if you're telling knock knock jokes with people and a half an hour into it somebody's like i was date raped and you're like what like it just no transition it was very very odd and the rest of the i tried to pivot and i thought i did but even as looking backing on it, there was a couple of just uncomfortable moments in the middle and it ended. And she's like, I don't want anybody to hear that. And I went, I agree with you. I was like, I'm going to delete it right now. And I just did. And there was nothing wrong with it. It just was, I don't know how to put it. It, it, it was, it was just very awkward and strange and it didn't do justice to the, to the topic all of a sudden. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so those are the only ones that I've ever, ever not, shared with anybody 
and it's true. It's like, do I have to report this? I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. This is not exactly what I was prepared for. It was just very strange, you know, like, and I was like, okay, like, I completely agree with you. Like, let's get rid of this. It was nice to meet you. I'm sorry that this went awkwardly, but I I don't know what happened. I can never decide. I never asked her and it was just, wasn't appropriate to ask her. Like, did, um, did she just get emboldened and blurted out or was it just an inartful, you know, you know, injection of a different kind of information or was it that we were so joking along that it took me so by surprise. I don't think the next thing I said was appropriate. Like, do you know what I mean? Because I, I don't even know if I knew what I was saying at that point. Like, so I don't, you know, if you've never made a podcast, it's your brain's always a little ahead of what you're doing because I'm listening to you. I'm also formulating a question. I'm also trying to imagine where the conversation is going to go. Like I'm doing a lot while I'm talking. And I think my brain drifted ahead of the conversation. And we basically went from like one thing to something drastically different. And I just didn't pivot fast enough. And um, it was just, I don't know. Anyway, those are the only ones. Like I've never, I, I don't hold on. I think everybody's interesting. I love hearing people's stories, you know? No, it's good. And I mean, and it shows, it shows that you're, uh, you do ask good questions and it's, it's not pre-programmed and you lean into the conversation. So yeah, I thought this was happy with what you were able to do. Did we miss anything that you wanted to talk about? Is there anything left on that paper over there? <laughs> That's funny. Um, it, no, I, I think I'm absolutely happy with, uh, hopefully what we, I got to share. Uh, you know, I wanted to be cognizant of, I, there is one thing is the, the, the second kid that is not the diabetic and being very mindful of the the potential not getting attention. Uh, what I mean by that is, so for example, if one daughter is, has a low blood sugar and the other daughter wants to read to me, the tendency is going to go to the daughter with a low blood sugar. So the perspective of the other kid is very, very important. And I also mean by that is I've seen my sisters, for example, have to deal with, you know, we got to cater to Howie because of circumstances. So it's almost like my sister's adversity is not allowed to be brought up because it's not as drastic as mine. Or So I think that's something that, one, it actually adds unnecessary guilt to the diabetic because it's like, no, you can have adversity, you can have problems too. It's not a scoreboard. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. It's almost like you can't convey that your sister or somebody shouldn't have something difficult because it's not as difficult as what you have. So that's just something to be mindful of is not reinforcing that as a parent yeah. and being mindful of the non-diabetic kids perspective. I liked too how you, you spoke pretty clearly earlier about not wanting to restrict foods or, or say things are out of bounds. I think uh, a good relationship with food is incredibly important. It's so easy to create a eating disorder around type one. So I, I love the way you're thinking about that. We do the same thing here, you know, um, I don't, I, I want to say like, I seriously mean this. I don't, I don't care how people eat. Like I have a whole series of how people eat. It's literally called how we eat and people come on and talk about all the different ways that they eat carnivore, you know, flexitarian, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And I just think people need to understand how insulin works. And once they understand how insulin works, you, you go, you know, God bless, like go eat any way you want, you, you know? Um, but I think it becomes a problem if, people run to an eating style in lieu of understanding how their insulin works. You know what I mean? Like they just absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of how I think it, about it. It's, it's the folks that work out. that don't have the proper diet. Don't expect the same type of result. It's so, 
yeah, you have to understand the impact of the insulin. Yeah, you just need to know how insulin, like whether you're going to eat a low carb meal or fish or all vegetables or, you know, you're going to go to Burger King. Like, I just want you to understand how the insulin works. And then once you do, like, you should go live your life, you know. Um, but but yeah, but I do. I, I think that especially when kids are growing up, like if you tell them like this, you know, if you scare them, like we can't eat this, you do run the risk of, you know, it's a risky thing to say to a kid like eating disorders are are uh, not uh, there have been a lot of people on here that have had them and they're they're super serious and very difficult to to get out of once you're in and um you know it's just it's something to be aware of too so i, I liked when you and, said that earlier and even short term your kid may sneak food and not take insulin to cover it so even if they don't if that doesn't impact the you know the eating disorder side which is obviously very 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 difficult it's even the short-term issue. I was like, oh my gosh, let me hurry up and eat this before my parents see. Yeah. Well, that's how those, that's how the disorders start. Like I have to hide it. I can't tell people, um, yeah. I won't take insulin for it. Then when people learn they can manipulate their insulin to lose weight, that becomes incredibly dangerous. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a ton of different reasons why you want to build a very normal relationship with food, with, with diabetes for sure. Um, healthy food, like, listen, uh, don't get me wrong. If, if you ask me to make a decision, if you're eating McDonald's every day, I think you're doing something wrong. Okay. <laughs> you know, like if you're asking me from a personal perspective, but again, if you're eating McDonald's every day and that's what you want to do, I think you're probably making other healthish decisions that are poor, but I still want you not to have a bunch of spikes and lows later. You, you know what I mean? You, you don't, you don't deserve poor diabetes health because of your eating choices. I know that seems disjointed a little bit, but I think you should eat healthy. But if you're not going to, like, you know, it's not a perfect world. I can't, we can't make everyone do exactly the right thing, you know, the best thing for them. So if that's going to happen, they deserve to know how to use their insulin. You know, that, that to me is just makes sense, but Absolutely. Diabetics and non-diabetics should eat healthy regardless. So yeah, a hundred percent. But if you're not, if you listen, if you can't, there's a reason why you can't, I mean, maybe it's money. Maybe you're buying processed food because it's cheaper. Um, maybe you're, you know, maybe you have a food addiction. Maybe you just don't know any better. You still, you don't deserve to be wandering around with a 400 blood sugar because of that. So, um, anyway, that's how I think of the podcast in my heart. It's about using insulin. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's awesome perspective. And I'm glad, uh, my wife encouraged me to to pay attention and listen. And obviously the, the dual benefit of one learning something and then two showing the, the resources that you provide to, to the 18,000 plus followers. Well, that's just in the Facebook page. I've learned that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast. So it's the weirdest thing is that uh, Apple won't tell you how many followers you have, like how many subscribers. It's the one thing they won't tell you. And most people listen on an Apple product. Like a great number. Annoying. Yeah. <laughs> is it? Well, Spotify is the next uh, most popular one, I think. No, I mean, it's annoying you can't get the data. Yeah. I don't know why they won't share it with the with the people who make the show. Um, so you get downloads, completion. Like, how I know how long people listen um, on average, which I'm, it's incre- I'm incredibly proud of how long people listen to the episodes. Uh, but, um, but yeah, you don't get an exact number of people. I did, you know, it's funny the other day, Spotify does this like thing at the end of the year where they tell you like your most listened to songs, um, your most listened to podcasts and people have been tagging me, you know, like you're my, my number one podcast. And one woman had 12,000 minutes of listening in the last five months. And I was like, my God, that's a lot. And, and I, and I did the quick math. I was able to divide 12, 
a thousand by sixty, and um, she she listened to about two hundred hours of the show. So uh, my assumption is, let's wow. say, let's say she downloaded two hundred shows in the last five months. In the last five months, the shows had over a million downloads, and I thought of her as a person who listened a lot. So then I was like, well, is everyone listening? that much or are there just way more people listening that i think because they everybody can't have listened to 200 episodes in the last five months right howie that doesn't make sense so it's just it's it's an unknowable thing for me um that's that's it i I don't even care but i would tell you there's a lot of people listening this the podcast this year 2021 uh is going to have over 2 million downloads just in the calendar year and it's actually hard to find the old ones so that's what's challenging is on the, at least i'm very inexperienced on just apple products in general even though i have one yeah so I, it's even hard to find ones beyond i think past the 400s on yours so you scroll 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 you got to go to the setting that says see all podcasts i think and then just scroll like a lunatic um, yeah for some reason mine stop mine unless i'm doing still i'll have a my wife show me. Yeah, you can. But I like your. Search them. I like the humble brag. Eighteen. Oh, that's just on the Facebook page. That's pretty. I like that. Oh yeah, that's not a humble brag. I'm not being. <laughs> no, I'm incredibly. I'm being incredibly impressed with myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, that Facebook page is actually legit, and it's a really wonderful place. Like I, I'm proud of how it how it operates and how people act in there and how they help each other. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, I just uh, it's interesting though because you can look at the Facebook page and think, oh, this must be all the listeners of the show, but it's not nearly a fraction of them. As a matter of fact, a lot of people on that Facebook page, I don't think some of them even know the podcast exists. They just know it's a good Facebook page. And that was the other way. So when I was trying to get the information on the number of listeners, I actually was podcast first and my wife showed me the Facebook page secondarily. So I would imagine the same thing's happening in reverse. Yeah, yeah, I think one feeds the other. It kind of goes back and forth and, you know, I'm trying to do some math here for you real quick. So the podcast has 4.6 million total downloads right now. That's amazing. That's awesome. If I divide that by like just 550. So hold on a second. Four, six, zero, zero, one, two, three, divide by five. Yeah. So if it, it, so think about it this way, if, if, if those downloads represent, say everybody listened to every episode, there'd be about 9,000 people who are listeners, but there's no way that that's the case, right? Like, no, everyone hasn't listened to 550 episodes. That's just obvious. But from there, I don't know how to do an average of how many people have listened. So I don't know how to do the math. Like, you know, do, is is the average 50? Do, do, is it 100? You know, like, I, I genuinely have no idea. So you kind of do that you just kind of do that math. Like let's say everybody on average listened to a hundred episodes, then there's 46,000 plus people who have listened to the podcast. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah. And this one's probably going to generate a couple hundred thousand. So those numbers should jump up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think just you being here, honestly, um, is going to make all the difference. A hundred percent. You're a difference maker for sure. Absolutely. All right, man. I hope you have a good day. I appreciate you doing this. No, thank you so much for uh, the time and the attention and the education, most specifically for selfish reasons. I really, really appreciate the guidance and uh, and what you're giving me selfishly here. I I think that you're you're a person on the precipice of a five uh, an A one C in the fives. 
Um, and I have a soft spot in my heart for people who have had type one for a really long time, because I imagine that it must be very difficult to go through all these different iterations. And because a six to you, I would imagine is, it seems like the pinnacle because of how you've lived through it. You're hundred percent right. I'm yeah. happy with a six. No, you happy. Are you kidding me? I, I mean, you're, you, fireworks coming out of your ass you know my mom's my mom's like 74 she's like a 63 i'm like at least i'm not like a 74 year old woman (laughs) i imagine your mom right now looking at your dexcom (laughs) what do you think (laughs) thank god i don't have the follow-up my the best is like my mind goes in and out of bluetooth and my wife looks at it and like she'll tell me stuff like just finally just leave me alone just you know (laughs) well man listen i'm not saying there's anything wrong with your management style like i i I genuinely mean that i just think there's there's more there if you want it if you don't want it i understand i I love to print the fives and i'm going to show you my chart so i'm the first thing i'm going to do is lower my uh lower my target and raise my raise my uh, raise my low i'm sorry lower my low and lower my high Here's what you're going to do when you're done. Go to juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll down a little bit, and there's a section called Algorithm Pumping, and there are a bunch of episodes there about looping, which is just a different algorithm. I think if you listen to them, and there is one there about Control IQ as well, but if you listen to the looping ones, you'll get more ideas about how to kind of manipulate the algorithm a little bit. Yeah, because when you said my daughter loops, I thought that was like a specific pump that I never heard of. No, it's um, it's literally uh, you download it off the internet. Some lovely people. I think the man uh, who made mine lives in Russia. I think. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, you download the code, you build the app yourself. Um, the, these amazing people online built these like little like Bluetooth links that link the algorithm on the phone to your pump. They, um, I mean, they hack the pumps, you know, so that the I mean, Omnipod is not something they offer, you know, um, from the company. It's it's all do it yourself. Um, I didn't even realize that. Oh wow! Yeah, but it adds it adds more flexibility uh, for targets. Is the really the biggest deal? And it, the one we're using has auto bolus. So like where Control IQ sees you go up and it raises your basal. Uh, my daughter's boluses, so you get a little more instantaneous, you know. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's what I hated about Medtronic's pump. A tech, a control IQ will give a micro bolus, but it's still not enough usually. It's not enough. Yeah. Now these things need to get more aggressive. And and I and and seriously, like, I listen. I have the opportunity to talk to people at, at company levels all the time, and I am always advocating. Like, I know it's an expense, but you got to go back to the FDA and you gotta you gotta do more testing that proves that you can have lower targets. It's a big deal. Like, let people have more flexibility with their targets. But you see the bigger problem is that they have to run a study. That study costs a lot of money. And then they've got to take it back to the FDA and go through the process again. Um, you know, but I just, I keep pushing wherever I get the opportunity. So I hope people yeah, it seems like, listen. seems like Europe gets it done quicker. Yeah, probably. But I know people listen. Like, I know there's somebody really high up at Medtronic that listens to this show. So I know people hear me and I'm telling you that it's, it's really important. You have to spend the money and do it. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E. G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com. 
forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank InPen from Medtronic Diabetes for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and remind you to go to InPenToday.com to learn more about that insulin pen. And of course, TouchedByType1.org. Go get your tickets. They're free. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please share it with someone else who you think might also enjoy it. And so I want to thank everyone who's ever taken the time to share the podcast with someone else. If you've already taken the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box to remind you that if you haven't, it takes fewer than 10 minutes and would be a huge help to me, the podcast, and people living with type 1. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.